Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everyone, you're live with Nisi. I am your host, Opal Bailey, and I'll have with me a special guest. Her name is Marilyn Sampson, and she will share with you her life story. Not only is she a caregiver, but she's also received a caregiver as well to take care of her family. So welcome to my show, Marilyn. Thank you so much for having me here today. I have a um a daughter who is a nurse, and she tells me about the different and the different ways of caregiving and how she sees um, different family members, you know, when she go and, and care for their children. So Marilyn and I have met through my daughter and it has always, it has already been a pleasure meeting you as well. So can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? I am a registered nurse, which is my second profession, and I became a registered nurse after taking care of my special needs son, Marcus. Okay, what made you get into the nursing field? I started caregiving when my mother was ill. She was diagnosed with a heart condition, cardiomyopathy. And I didn't know much about the condition, but uh, my mother being uh, 45 years old was very vibrant and a a live young lady. And all of a sudden was just uh, stricken with a disease, had never really been sick in her life, but had been stricken with this disease. And her sister, my aunt, Ruth L. Hopkins, pretty much changed her life to come and help my mother and to stay there with my mother. She used to work days, and she started working nights in order to be there with my mom while we were at work. Mm-hmm. So how did that get? So then she invited you or told you about nursing or how to be a caregiver or? Just watching my aunt and uh, the way that she took care of my mother. And then from there, after my mother passed, went to be with the Lord and I had my youngest son, uh, Marcus, who was born with also with a heart condition called Tetralogy of Fallot, which is a congenital heart defect. And after Marcus was born and five months into his life, then he was he had a, a open heart operation that left him in a persistent vegetative state. So to bring him home, we had to have assistance, which uh, were, were nurses. And so as I saw some of the nurses coming to take care of Marcus, Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, well, 
maybe I can do this. And I just kind of tossed it back and forth for a while. Didn't do it for a long time. Mm -hmm. But and then in 2004, I decided that this is something that I needed to do for him. Because my feeling was that no matter who was in the governor's mansion or who was in the White House, that I would be able to take care of Marcus. And that's why I became a nurse. Mm, so I hear that um, as a caregiver, it's like a full-time job in a sense. How does that change? Um, how does Marcus' situation being at home change your dynamic of your family? Well, having Marcus at home it was, as I told someone yesterday, it's a 25 hour a day, eight day a week job. And they're like, but there's only 24 hours in a day and seven days. I said, that's what I'm saying. You don't call in sick. You don't get vacation. It is a full time job. And if you are working outside of the home and still have that duty at home, it's like two full time jobs. But there is a reward to being a caregiver because you personally are invested in the well-being of your loved one, as my husband and I was. It did cause uh, things where you couldn't go as freely as you would like to go because if a nurse did not come in or if someone called out sick, then you as the parent or the caregiver would have to step in. So there were a lot of changes. There were a lot of things that had to be reworked and schedules that had to be uh, adjusted. But we did what we had to do because that's a choice that we made to bring Marcus home with us. So when you meant, you did mention about the option of Marcus coming home, what, what other option did he have that you didn't want to, to do, you know, have done to him or... The other option that we were given is that he could have gone to a, I guess it was a home, uh, a special needs home or a home for, for children. And I, that just did not sit well with me and with uh, in my spirit, because at the time when all this happened, he was five months old, so he was still an infant. And so I didn't know very much about taking care of an infant that had a trach, that had a G-tube on a ventilator. I didn't know those things, but uh, the nurses over at Arnold Palmer Hospital trained me uh, well enough to take care of him in the absence of a, a trained professional. That was a requirement to bring him home, is that you had to room in the room with him for 24 hours because if someone did not show up if some if a nurse didn't come in then you were the nurse mm. so you were basically was there beside him around the clock yes doing everything yes no time at all for yourself yes no time at all for <laughs> anything so how did you handle all this though because ev evidently for him being five months old he was a baby he was a very you know infant so how did you handle this personally in this this total change for your family. It was very hard. And that's something that I would stress to people who are starting this journey in caregiving or who may be at the end of a journey of uh, caregiving. It's hard. And people will say, well, you know, it's your family. And is that, and all of that is true. But at some point you do start saying, you know, like, why me? 
why did uh, this happen to me? You see other people out with their kids and they're running and jumping and laughing and playing. And then you realize that you have a child that can't do those things. And sometimes anger comes in and you you're mad. But then finally, when you turn those things over and you ask the Lord to help you, because that's the only way that you can truly be a caregiver is through the grace of God as asking him to help you. And then once those, those feelings are real and some caregivers are say, Oh no, that's that, you know, you shouldn't say that, but you have to acknowledge something in order to get help with it. So if you don't acknowledge that, yes, I am upset. Yes, I am angry. Why is my child like this? Why, why me? So once you acknowledge those feelings, then you're able to work through them. But it was a total life change because you went from having a well child that you thought that you had to hospital visits and specialists and you had equipment or durable equipment people coming in and you had nurses. So there wasn't really like uh, your home anymore. It was home and then the nurses or the caregivers that came in to take care of of Marcus. So sometimes it was like I viewed it as an invasion of our home, an invasion of our privacy, because in the home, it's it's a tight knit. We didn't live in a mansion, so it was very tight knit. So you would uh, ultimately run into the nurses or they were trying to come in and do something in the kitchen, getting ready for his feedings and stuff. And you may be trying to get dinner ready. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a small kitchen if you've got two or three people in this small kitchen all trying to do the same things. But some of the nurses did just say they kind of figured out our routine and I figured out their routine as well. And so we would just make adjustments. If uh, he had a feeding at six o'clock, they would by five thirty. they're trying to get in there and get his things together. And so I would try to avoid the five thirty time frame in the kitchen so that they can do mm-hmm. what they needed to do. So I'd either do what I needed to do earlier or do it afterwards when they uh, had to get everything together for Marcus. Wow. That's just like a, that's a lot of juggling. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of juggling, but uh, God helps you. Wow. Uh, he's a present help. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I do ab- agree with you when you mentioned about um, you, you can't be able to do what you do as a caregiver without God's help, because so many um, things you have to juggle. Yes. Because you didn't just have to take care of Marcus, but you had to also continue to take care of your family. Yes. You you had to take care of your husband. You still had to go do what you needed to do in order to keep your home running. So exactly. it was more than just Marcus. Yes. You know, I, yes. Want to, I want the listeners to know just more. Oh, well, just, just her son. No, no. You know? I have an older son, Miles. And when all of this happened, Miles was about five years old. And so sometimes Miles almost felt like he was an only child. And then Marcus was an only child. But because so much attention and time was given to Marcus, then you try to put that extra time and attention with him as well. And also you had to juggle uh, a marriage and you've got to juggle uh, trying to keep a house together and working and it, it was a job. It, it's, it's a job. So how was your support system? I know you, you're saying that you did a lot and trying to juggle with the, 
you know, with the things with the nurses and trying to make sure dinner was ready. Do you feel that having a positive support system kind of helped you as well? Yes, I did have a great support system. My husband was very active in Marcus's care. Uh, Miles was active in Marcus's care. My Even my dad, who said that he was like a, a nurse assistant. <laughs> so <laughs> he was there helping in his care. And uh, also my aunt, whenever I would call and tell her I needed uh, help with um, Marcus, if I was working, because I was working outside of the home, I'm in the home at one point. And if a nurse had to leave early or a nurse didn't show up, then I would call her and then she would come over and and sit with him so that I can finish my shift. So I'm thankful for all the um, great support that I had from my family and also some of uh, the family of Christ, too. People in the church helped out as well. Mm. Yeah, because I have a friend who uh, actually I just talked to her today. And she said, she told me that she never knew what a job a caregiver was because now she has to take, now she's taking care of her mom Okay. and her husband travels. So Mm -hmm. she's like, I never knew what a job it is caring for someone before, you know, my mom came and lived with us. Now I, I can, you know, I can see that. Oh my gosh, I need help. Yes. Because, uh, Sometimes, and it may be an unfortunate thing that we're called the uh, sandwich generation because we're in the middle. We've got our parents and then here we are and then we have our family or our children. And so we're just like right in the middle there where we're trying to raise our children as well as take care of our parents. So they they call that the sandwich. We're the sandwich generation. (laughs) (laughs) What's some of the challenges that you faced as... um as a caregiver yourself, even with your job or with taking care of Marcus? The main challenge that I thought was uh, burnout and fatigue. You want to do everything that you can for them, but my suggestion to caregivers, whether they're new caregivers or caregivers who have been doing this for a while, is to make sure that you take care of yourself because caregiver burnout and is real because we are so busy focusing on the person who needs the care that we neglect ourselves. So if they can get some type of respite, some type of time away, and that helps you because if you get sick or you get down, then who's going to take care of your loved one? Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that I had to learn is to take time out or take time away in order to take care of myself since Mm -hmm. I was uh, like a primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I would strongly advise and strongly admonish people to do is to take care of themselves. What did, what kind of things that you had to do to make sure you were okay, make sure that you were refreshed and strong enough to continue on? What are the things that you Sometimes, sometimes I would just go to a movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, uh, church service would be a time of refreshing. And sometimes just going out to lunch or visiting friends and just talking. It's just sometimes just being away from the home or from wherever it is that you're doing the caregiving. And that's a, a needed time of refreshing and to take your time off of it for even for a little while. 
another thing we used to do was go to theme parks because we like theme parks. So we would go and you would just lose yourself in that, even if it's just for a day, even if it's just for eight hours. And you just lose yourself and get caught up into the theme park or, or into the fantasy of being there in whatever theme park you like to go to. And then when you come back home, then it's like a, a mini vacation, a mini break. And you just take those little times and refresh yourself. And then you are a, a better caregiver. Mm, that's really good. You you um, was taking care of Marcus. And was there a time when you thought that he would get better? I did. I thought that he would get better and I would see improvements in him. Even though he didn't speak, I would see improvements in him. One thing that was uh, remarkable and miraculous about Marcus is even though he had such big diagnoses, he was very seldom hospitalized even though he had a trach, he only had pneumonia one time in his 19 years of life. He had no bed sores, nothing like that. And I attribute all of that to the excellent care that he got. And I always used to tell people, I said, well, he has a bulldog as a mom as well. <laughs> I'm a witness. No. <laughs> but you know what? Even with that, too, you know, you you have to be careful and you want to make sure that your son get the care that it need, that he needed. Yes. And so you had to make sure that the nurses did what was required. And there was no, Oh, I forgot. No. When it came to taking care of Marcus, you know, no, no, no one had to forget. And I think as a caregiver, the pressure of that, no, having to remember, having to make sure that the medication is on, on at the time given the food is given and all of that is, is yes. recorded and, and kept up. And all of, you know, the whole nine yards, the whole case management is what I call it. The whole case management of it. And yes, it's uh, a lot to do. But like I said, we do it because we love our loved ones and we want them to get the best care there is possible. You mentioned that Marcus had surgery. Um, was something something happen in his surgery in the process because you said he was healthy and then he had surgery and then. Yes. Okay. Yes. When Marcus was born, I, and everyone thought that he was a healthy baby. And when he was four months old, I took him to the pediatrician because he was kind of tugging at his ear. And so being a new, a, a, a second time mom, I knew that was a sign of an ear infection. So I took him in to see the pediatrician and when he was crying, the, the, the other pediatrician who was there having lunch, uh, we were seeing a, a nurse practitioner that day. So she went and got the doctor and had the doctor like help her to listen or look. And so the pediatrician was like, this baby looks blue to me. She said, it's hard to tell. And black baby, she said, but he looks blue. So then she started testing his oxygen saturations and found that he was a bit low. So they put him on oxygen. They took a chest X-ray and it wasn't really improving. And so we went from the doctor's office to Wustoff. And then the next thing I know, he's being airlifted to Arnold Palmer. 
and we get over to Arnold Palmer. He has seen a pediatric cardiologist who's done a heart catheterization and telling uh, me and my husband that he has a congenital heart defect. So the story goes from uh, there. He was in Arnold Palmer in Orlando, and he was airlifted again to St. Joseph's over in Tampa, where he underwent a surgery called a Blasic Tussock Shunt. And it's called a BT shunt. And so what they do is they try to enlarge the pulmonary artery because he had pulmonary atresia, which is like a stenosis or a um, restriction of the um, pulmonary artery. So they did that, but he also had what is called a VSD or ventricle septal defect, which is like a hole in the heart. So they repaired part of the uh, defect because tetralogy, what he had tetralogy of below is a four defects. So they repaired one of them, but they didn't repair the hole that was in the heart. And according to uh, the doctors is that he developed a blood clot, or which is a stroke, and then that went to the brain that left him in a persistent vegetative state for 19 years. So what was, you, what was you thinking? What was going on in your mind through all this time? All that time? At that time, I think I was, it was just a bit much uh, in shock, unbelief, because just the day before, he was fine. And then all the day in ICU and cardiac uh, ICU and over in Tampa. So you just pick up and you go. And so at that time, it was shock. It was disbelief. And as time went on, then that turned into anger. And then as that time went on, then it's like, okay, this is my son. This is our son. And we've got to take care of him and we've got to, to deal with what's going on. And so initially, I didn't want to learn anything about his condition. I didn't want to learn anything about the nursing and what he required. And one nurse over at Arnold Palmer, her name was Susan. I'll never forget her. And she told me, she said, well, um, I told her, I says, well, I don't need to learn how to do all of this stuff. And she says, well, what will happen if a nurse doesn't show up? And I said, well, if a nurse doesn't show up, then they don't ever need to come back. And she says, well, that could be true. She says, but how will you know if the nurses are doing it right? And she used reverse psychology on me. And I was like, you're right. Yes, I, I better learn how to do uh, what I need to do to take care of Marcus. So I thank her for that because that taught me if someone came in and did something different and I would just ask them, so I see you do this this way. Why do you like to do it that way instead of this way? So it let them know that I knew a little bit about what was going on, but I didn't know everything about his care at that point, but I knew enough that if something appeared wrong or appeared not like he usually has his care than to question it. Mm -hmm. So she basically just equipped you for the journey. Yes, <laughs> she did. That you had to take to make sure that, um, that Marcus received the best care as, as if he was at Arnold Palmer. Yes. 
And so that's so vital when when caregivers are taking care of people in their homes and or whether someone is going out to someone else's home and be a caregiver themselves to be able to be fully equipped to to understand and to not, you know, and to recognize when something is not being done right. And you, you can say, wait a minute, why did you move this over here instead of leaving it right there? And kind of like letting you know, letting them know that you're a part of his well-being. Yes. Yes. And some appreciated that and some did not. But it was what I thought I was called to do for him. And those who did not appreciate my um, willingness to help. (laughs) That's a good way. Yes, willingness to help or willingness to make sure that he got what he needed to get. Um, They just found out that that might not be the place for them. And caregivers have need not be afraid to speak up and say, um, this is not working for us. And there may come a time when you may have to separate from some of the caregivers who have been there or caregivers who are new and just started. And that's okay because it's not that you are looking out for the people that are coming there to help you. You're looking out for your loved one. And unfortunately, everyone that comes to your door or comes to the door of the hospital are not all there for the same purpose in giving the best care. Some are there just to get paid Mm -hmm. and, Nothing wrong with getting paid, but your first priority is to be a caregiver, is to provide care. Mm -hmm. So through everything that you've been through and everything that you endured and you had to learn and you had to face, what was the one thing that you could remember about your journey as a caregiver to Marcus? One thing that I could remember... Uh, let's see. There, there are many things that I can remember. And when he was small enough that we could still carry him into, uh, he had a, a little red wagon that my husband had gotten for him. One of those little, uh, flyers and had the little on the sides and stuff. So we would put him in that, that, uh, flyer. It's, I, I can't think of the name of it, but it's the little red wagon that kids have. And so his vent would be in the front and we'd have him like on the back there and he'd be sitting in his little car seat and uh, we'd take him out like down the street. And sometimes uh, one of the nurses, one of his uh, nurses who had been there for a long time, Miss Alice Tara, she would take him down the street in this little red wagon and she'd bring him back and they were like, what aren't you? afraid when she she takes him out there I says well she is a nurse and she has an ambu bag and she's not going like two streets over she's just going down to the end of the street like in the Mm cul-de-sac and come back and so he really enjoyed that he really enjoyed the being outside the fresh air because I believe that's important as well it's having fresh air good food having sunlight and sometimes people don't get those things but it helps I believe in the healing process mm-hmm. with having the, the sunlight, the fresh air and also the, mm-hmm. the good food and nutrition and the, your, the meds. Well, I've seen a picture of Marcus and when I look at him, I can see that he just showed love. He yes. showed that he was loved to the very end. Yes. 
And he was, you know, he was, and he, he looked happy. Mm -hmm. You know, he looked content and it was like, it just blew me away how love loved. He looked, his eyes just show love that I'm, I'm loved. My, my parents accepted me. They took care of me and I'm doing good. Yes. And that's what I always would tell people that Marcus was ours and we're going to keep him. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, Ms. Marilyn, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your life story. I know it wasn't an easy one to share, but I do believe that those that are listening is encouraged and given hope as well. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to share? I would just like to tell those who are either starting this journey in caregiving or those who have been at it for a long time, because my journey in caregiving started with my mom and I didn't realize that we're talking about it, but it started with my mom 25 years ago. And I can't say that it ended with Marcus because there'll be other times and other people that I will help in taking care of. But the most important thing is that we have to remember that God has put us here for a purpose. And if that purpose is to help someone or to be blessed, to be a caregiver, because it is a blessing, Mm -hmm. everybody can't do it. And if you can't do it, that's okay too. But you may have the gift to go and get someone who can assist you in taking care of your loved one. But the most important thing that I would want to leave with those who are either starting or those who are in the midst of caregiving is to make sure that you take care of yourself because caregiving, you can get burnt out and you can't be an effective caregiver if you yourself are now being the one who needs to be taken care of. Well, I'm glad we're going to end with that note. And I just want to just let all the caregivers know that Destiny Christian Church will be hosting a Caring for Caregivers event on November the 12th. It is for all the caregivers to come out and receive a day of pampering, massages, the whole nine yards is for you guys. It starts at nine o'clock in the morning. And again, it's at the Destiny Christian Church at 700 South Courtney Parkway in Merritt Island, Florida. So if you're in this area, please take time to come and just have a day of relaxation and get to know other caregivers as well. Thank you listeners for tuning in to live with Nisi. I am your host, Opal Bailey. God bless you. talk about medi-cal you have a choice and molina makes it easy so let's talk about making your life easier about extra help to manage your health nobody knows medi-cal better than molina visit meetmolinaca.com let's talk today with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky <gasps> No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.